Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Marnie Vinge, and this is Irioki. Join me and my friends as we explore the darker side of the Sooner State. Here we go. I'm Marnie Venge, and this is Irioki, and I'm here today with a very special guest, two special guests, because you are the winner of the Instagram giveaway. You. Yes, and I'm here with Brooke Jones and Cheyenne Meadows, who I have talked a lot with both of you on Instagram and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, so that's very cool. Um, so if you just want to introduce yourself and talk about like what, what you do, because you have a pretty cool job, I think. Yeah, uh, well, I am born and raised in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And I work at the Shawnee News Star. I'm, I'm a graphic artist. Cool. So we build ads for customers, mm-hmm. uh, magazines, page design. Yeah, that's cool. That is cool. My aunt uh, owns a print shop, so like, I, I, I know a little bit about it, but not like a lot. <laughs> so the thing that we are talking about today is um, the Black Jail in Guthrie, which is yeah. also known as the Samaritan Cult House. Yes. Yeah, so this is kind of exciting because, or not exciting, I mean, it's a horrible story, but um, I did not know we had any kind of cult activity in Oklahoma. No. I had no not idea. Not until I saw that episode, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, that was one of the first things is you sent me that episode, and um, I watched it this morning, and we will totally get to that. So, um, and today uh, you brought Cheyenne along with you. And so the three of us, when we got here, we're at the spy today. And the first thing we did when we got here was we all piled into my car and we went to Guthrie because we wanted to see this place. And it is located um, at the corner of Second and Noble in Guthrie. It's like right next to downtown. Yeah. Like it is. I mean, there are houses right next to it. It It's a very weird placement. It's a weird placement. Like there's a, there's a like. A bridge. A bridge that stretches across that um, I think is probably where people say they see the apparitions from. But anyway, it's kind of, um, it's like a reddish kind of stucco looking exterior. There's a lot of broken windows. Like it's two stories. Yes. Boarded up windows. Some of the boards are broken out. Like somebody has been in there. Um, Almost tempting to go in there. Yes. Yes, it is. It is a little tempting to go in there. Um, And it... It has a uniform windows on both stories and an arched doorway at one end. Um, the building has seen a lot of different uses over the years. It's gone under renovation a few times. Um, and originally, the building was constructed of dark limestone brick, which is how it got its the first nickname, the Black Jail, because it was actually the first territorial jail, I believe is what it was called. First territorial prison. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yes. Yeah. It's so it's really it's a really historic building. Um, and the first prisoners that were there began calling it the black because of its dark appearance and the name stuck. Um, the original structure featured 18 inch thick walls. It was built in 1892 
and it was supposed to be inescapable, but um, that was not <laughs> entirely the case. Um, 90 prisoners could be housed within the jail at maximum occupancy, um, and the basement was used for solitary confinement. No light, no windows. Um, have you ever watched the show Adam Ruins Everything? I haven't. Okay. It's basically like this guy who will um, take a topic and he says he, like, quote, ruins it by, like, giving you all the facts about it. And one time <laughs> he did one about prison. And they were talking about solitary confinement and, like, how psychologically damaging it is. So, like, it's, I mean, and I mean, I know that, like, it's still done today. So, to imagine, like, how it was back then, oh, like, right. it was probably, like, a way, way worse. And so, I mean, being in the basement of that place, like, I can't even imagine being locked in there and, like, not seeing daylight mm-hmm. or anything like that. Nope. Um, and uh, another thing about it, about the construction, is there was no insulation um, because because of what it was made of. Mm-hmm. And that caused a lot of problems because we have pretty extreme winters and extreme summers here. And so in the summertime, um, a lot of times the inmates would get dehydrated. Yeah. And, um, and in the winter, they had a lot of colds, the flu, and respiratory problems. Um, and then back when I did the Funhouse Mummy episode, I went to the cemetery in Guthrie to take a picture of um, Elmer McCurdy's grave. And I believe that the guy buried right next to him is Bill Doolin, and that was one of the most famous inmates um, that was housed at the Black Jail. Yeah, um, yeah he had... He started the Wild Bunch. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. He was the founder of the Wild Bunch, and they were known for robbing banks, stagecoaches, trains, all that good outlaw stuff yeah. that you do, that like you do. Um, and the jail, which was supposed to be inescapable, um, so Doolin escaped from the jail with 14 other inmates on July 5th, 1896. And August 24th, so not even like a month, like a month and a half later, um, Deputy U.S. Marshal Heck Thomas killed Bill Doolin. And he's now buried in Guthrie. Um, and you can actually go see his grave. Like, I, I talked a little bit about that on that podcast, but it's in the Boot Hill section of that cemetery. Okay. And it's it's literally, like, you have to walk a long ways to get from, like, everybody else's graves to, like, these two outlaws. So it's almost <laughs> like they've been, like, okay, you guys can be over here. Like, right. you're, you're separate. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's kind of funny. And um, the other, uh, another inmate that was fam- famous there, or famous inmates, plural, um, the Dalton gang, mm-hmm. they were part of that. Um, so the Black Jail, uh, it closed before Oklahoma actually became a state, and it was abandoned for a long time. Um, eventually, the Nazarene Church bought it and turned it into one of the most prosperous churches in that area. And the um, and looking at the building, like when I looked it up on the internet, it does lend itself to a church-like yeah. kind of feel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like the arch doorway, yeah. and like it kind of it looks like it could be a church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the seventies, that that church moved to another area, and the property was once again abandoned. And then <laughs> this is where it gets crazy. <laughs> so part. yeah. Um, there is an article on, uh, I believe it's This Land Press, made by you and me, by David Ferris, David A. Ferris. Um, and he was actually interviewed in the Ghost Adventures episode. He was one of the people that yes. they talked to. Um, and he wrote a very extensive article about Linda Green and um, the Samaritan Foundation. It's really good. You guys should go check it out if you want to read more in depth. Um, so in 1991, a new age group, which was known as the Samaritans, bought the property. Um 
They were organized by leader Linda Green, and they were known as the Samaritan Foundation. And so this was kind of a time period when there was a lot of that New Age mm-hmm. type stuff going on. And this makes me think of Heaven's Gate. Do you know much about Heaven's Gate? Very little. Okay, Marshall Applewhite. Okay. Like, he would make the videos about... They're the ones who were obsessed with, like, the hale Bop Comet. Okay. okay. And they ended up killing themselves, like, suicide cult type oh, stuff. Oh, I do know what you're talking yeah. about. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I actually saw... there. There's a whole exhibit about that situation in the Museum of Death in California. And I think it's also in the Museum of Death in New Orleans. Like, I think they have some of the same exhibits in both museums. But those are really cool if you ever get a chance to mm-hmm. check those out. Um, so Linda became quite well known. Uh, she conducted seminars around the country, um, one of which was near the O'Hare Airport in Chicago. She was known for her spiritualism, and she did a lot of dousing with pendulums, and she was kind of obsessed with that. Like, yeah. that, was her, that was her thing. Um, and she was really into the New Age movement. Um, and it, it, brought, it brought a lot of attention to uh, her and her group when she purchased the Black Jail, because, like, I can only imagine... Um, anywhere in Oklahoma, I think if a group like this commune of like dirty hippies is buying this (laughs) property, like, you know, I think a lot of eyebrows are probably being raised and it kind of makes me wonder like how many of those houses that are around that area, because there are houses right next to it. So it's like, were those there at that time? And like, how would you feel with like a cult living in your backyard? backyard, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I can imagine people were not thrilled. No. Yeah. Um, and she was, she actually worked as a registered nurse. Um, she'd been, uh, she worked in hospice and she was actually featured on the news for some work that she did with the hospice that she worked with. And it was pretty, like pretty good stuff. Um, she was also an actress, a poet, an author, and she wrote about her new age philosophy. She wrote several books. Um, and you can actually see her talk about that in one of the interviews. Um, uh, but even though she was mainly focused on dousing, um, according to her fifth ex-husband, uh, he said that her desire to become a guru took over. So like, I think she was kind of, and if you read some of the things about her, like she was kind of, she was not stable. And then I think combined with this like power. Very manipulative. Yes. Yes. Very, very manipulative. And I think that when you combine that, like instability with a little bit of power, Mm -hmm. a little bit of control over people, like that's a intoxicating kind of, recipe for someone like that exactly yeah so when she did this uh seminar in at uh near the o'hare airport um one of the gentlemen in attendance that day was alan ross he um to his friends and family they knew him as a free spirit like he was an easygoing guy and all that stuff um and he'd recently become quite interested in the occult or as he liked to call it quote the mysteries um, he was a filmmaker and he worked on the production of the Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, which I remember watching that as a kid. Um, he helped found the Artist Cooperative and Film Society uh, and the Film Society Chicago Filmmakers. And he was from Chicago. Um, and while he was in Chicago, he'd been involved with a woman named Flanagan McKenzie. Um, their relationship ended up ending, but they stayed friends because they both had an interest in the occult. Like they kind of. I guess things didn't end on like super bad terms or anything. And so they stayed friends and like, um, you know, they would, they would get together and talk about that. And what they mean by interest though, did they participate? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so Flanagan, um, she told him about this woman that she had discovered in Guthrie, Oklahoma, that was doing this dowsing and that was presenting near the O'Hare airport. Um, 
Flanagan had gone to several retreats put on by Linda Green. She'd brought back the teachings that she'd received to Alan Ross. Like, they discussed it. And finally, she talked him into going to Guthrie with her to visit Green, like, after he'd seen her in Chicago and stuff. Um, but then he started going to Guthrie alone. Like, he, he was so into it that he was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, really, really get invested in this. So um, it shocked everyone in Chicago, though, uh, when he returned and he announced that he had married a woman that he'd known only three days that he met in Guthrie at the Samaritan house. Um, Because apparently one of the things that Linda Green did was she got this group of people like these, she paired everyone up like men and women and then declared like you're all. So it probably wasn't even really a legal marriage. Right. Yeah. Probably, probably not. Probably. That's what I'm thinking. Cause I don't think I'm not thinking that she had any paperwork. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, So his, his family was pretty shocked by that. They were like, okay, this is a little out of character. Like this is kind of, kind of, kind of crazy like what's going on here um and but at that time like it was around then that linda green decided that she didn't want him to be married to that woman he she wanted him to be married to her like she (laughs) she was like i like alan ross and he's gonna be my sixth sixth husband um and she'd only been divorced from uh her husband dennis for a short time at that at that period of time um and then in 1992 Alan Ross moved from Chicago to live in Guthrie to be with Linda Green full time. So while this is all going on, like there are lots of people around the country that are becoming interested in the Samaritan, like the Samaritan house and the Samaritan uh, fellowship or whatever you want to call them. Um, So then in 1993, there was a woman named Nellie George who was 40 from Massachusetts and uh, she had been receiving literature from Linda Green, like, you know, like cult literature, like what you get, like that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that Jay and I talk about is Peter Popoff. And I don't know if you know who he is, but he's the one like late at night, there'll be these commercials for Miracle Spring Water. Oh, okay. And yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like if you drink it, like you'll be healed of whatever it is that <laughs> ails you. And like, it's this, it is crazy. Like you can, there was this investigative journalist that kind of like went down the rabbit hole like about this guy and like finding out where does this spring water come from? Like where, and it's weird because I think Peter Popoff kind of like, I think part of him actually believes that he's helping these people. Like, I don't think he entirely thinks that he's like a huckster. Like I think that he, (laughs) there is a really, it's really fascinating. So like, I'm sure there are people getting literature from him at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so she's been getting literature from Linda Green. um, And at the time, she was married to Jonathan George. And they had two children, Layla Malini and Ramey, ages seven and four. And um, she found out that there was a 10-day retreat in Guthrie. And she starts talking to her husband about it. And she's like, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I got to go to this. And he's kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. But they keep talking about it. And she finally convinces him, this is a good idea for me. This is something I need. And I'm going to take the kids with me. So she does that. And the 10 days pass and he doesn't hear from her. And the only contact information that he has at this time is Linda Green's answering machine. And he starts calling it and he can't get through. Like no one's answering. No one's returning his calls. So he's like, okay, so something, something's up. He learns a little bit more about the Samaritan Foundation. And he's like, okay, no, this is not... My kids are not going to stay there. Like, this is yeah, bad. Yeah, and it's weird that she has an answer, answering machine because, I mean, I'm sure you're getting ready to get yes. to it about some of her beliefs. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Like maybe she thought if I let it go to the answering machine, then it's like a safe way It'd to feel the, the feel the messages. <laughs> yeah, um, that is, that is interesting. Um, so he finally the next month he uh, or the next month he filed for or Nellie filed for separate maintenance and he appealed and was awarded temporary custody of his children. So he was a carpenter for the show This Old House. I don't know if you've ever. If you're familiar with that, are you familiar? Yeah. Okay, you remember that? Yeah, Cheyenne remembers it. Okay, yes. so I used to watch that when I was when I was a kid. Um, he was a carpenter for them for them, so that was a good job. And he left that job to come to Guthrie to get his children back. Um, and there was a two day hearing, and in this hearing, that's the time at which the stuff that was going on in this place got exposed. And they were like, okay, uh, this, this included bizarre things such as what you were just mentioning, not letting members talk on the phone due to the concern that vampires could gain access to them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is, uh, that's, a, that's different. That is I've different. Never, I've never, never, heard never heard that one either. Yeah. That one's one that I, I have not, not ever, not ever worried about a vampire getting me on the phone. Like, no, but it's a pretty far-fetched way for someone to maintain that control. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, she also talked about... She talked a lot about zombies, too. Um, and she claimed that she was Christ because she, quote, willingly gave her soul so that all of you could... you were, All of yours could survive, talking to her followers. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also... This, this was super interesting to me because when I was a kid, um, I remember at my elementary school... There was a lot of talk around this time about how barcodes were, like, evil of the devil, like, that kind of... I remember that as a kid, too. Yeah, yeah. there was kind of, like, this, like, it was this weird little urban legend type thing. And so she believed that barcodes were evil, and she would place these little um, drawings with circles with symbols in them Mm -hmm. under groceries, like, I guess, to, like suck out the negative energy that's on the barcode on your like bananas or something like that and uh and under the children's pillows she put them put them there too um so i thought that was really interesting and it's kind of i I mean it makes perfect sense because as a kid and like the kids i grew up with like i'm sure that and you too like you could have heard this on the news like kind of subliminally like oh this lady thinks this and so like a kid could take that and go to school and be like barcodes are evil yeah because i think uh i want to say it was channel four mm. i think channel four had an interview with her okay I believe. yeah it would not would so not surprise me that could have been very well where it got started yeah oh yeah that's i think we just solved a mystery i feel like i feel <laughs> like shaggy right now like i'm like excited um so and the thing about the zombies um one of the things that she believed and perpetuated was that many celebrities were zombies. Um, she claimed that Roseanne Arquette was a, quote, Ray slash Octave zombie. Um, Madonna was a Nephilim zombie. Bill Clinton was an animal mutant zombie. Hillary Clinton was a three virtue type zombie. And Saddam Hussein was a five virtue type zombie, which there was no like uh, there's nothing that I found that explains what any of these categories are. <laughs> but like they're very specific. Like So she kind of I mean, she and one of the things she wanted people to do was dispose of spiritual waste. And to her, the best way to do that was to give it to these celebrities. Yeah, uh, 
zombies though? Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Maybe snake. Yeah, you know, yeah. A lot of these politicians and yeah, that makes snakes, that but... makes that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, um, and she she like thought that the, the celebrities were zombies. She uh, and this was this is like one of my favorite parts of it. If no celebrities are available. Um, soy milk works. You can put the negative spiritual waste into soy milk and pour it down the drain. I mean, how, how many celebrities did they use? Right. Like, and also, like, I'm wondering, like, does a celebrity have to be present? Like, or can you just, like, see them on the TV? Or, like, you that's know. A good, that's a good yeah. question. Yeah. Because it's like, I mean. There's a lot of celebrities. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot going on with this lady, like, and her, her beliefs. How she got soy milk, that's. Right. That's That was kind of, that was kind of, it made me think of that, uh, the meme where it's like. If, if you can't find such and such, store-bought is fine. Like, that kind of <laughs> made me think of that. Um, and anyway, so Jonathan George, he the court got him his children back, and when they went in to, like, investigate the building, they found that there were 14 or 15 other children inside the Samaritan Foundation. Um, by 1993, DHS had closed down the Samaritan House as living quarters and had condemned it. Um, things started to heat up, and the bombing happened, there were rumors that the group had ties to the Branch Davidians in Waco and also some ties to Timothy McVeigh because some people claimed that they had spotted the Ryder truck outside of the Samaritan Foundation shortly before the um, Murrah building was bombed. Right. And I, the only, I can't find any literature on that. Mm-mm. Really, the only place we find that information was from Ghost Adventures. Yeah. I don't know if they were just talking to people around. Right. Area yeah. And they yeah. Just... That's a good point. Yeah. Because I didn't find anything yeah. else about it either. Um, and when the, when all this stuff started heating up, uh, Linda Green, Alan Ross, her friend, Julia Williams, and her ex-husband, Dennis Green, fled. Dennis settled in Loveland, Colorado, but the other, other three found a house in Cheyenne, Wyoming to share. Um, and Alan was working on a movie at the time, and, like, a couple people noticed that Linda would show up on the set and kind of, like, like, something seemed not right in the way they were interacting with each other and like one time they got they got in a fight and he often seemed very embarrassed of her um things were not not great and then in 1995 this this is where it gets even weirder um alan ross went missing yeah just disappeared yes just disappeared (laughs) um and this is his family and friends hadn't heard from him and his production manager had tried to contact him about receiving his payment for the work he had done and nobody could get a hold of him and they they all got concerned and he missed thanksgiving and christmas with his family so like you can imagine somebody missing the holidays in your family and like not hearing anything from them how disconcerting that would be i would call the police immediately oh yeah yeah, yeah. like i wouldn't have waited till christmas like no, i would have been like thanksgiving's like- enough <laughs> yeah yeah so they um they Thanksgiving came, they didn't hear from him, and they, they said that was unbelievable. Um, but Christmas was the turning point for them because they knew that Al wouldn't miss Christmas. Um, and that December, that December, right around that time, Dennis Green called the Cheyenne police and told them that Linda Green had killed Alan Ross and buried him in the crawl space under her house. He had last seen Alan Ross in October, and he saw Linda once again by herself about a month and a half after that. Um, and she was kind of distraught and she was telling him all this stuff. Um, he said, she told me a long story about their extreme marital conflicts. Why she was telling me, I don't know. He said, she told him that she and Ross fought, that she was afraid of him. And that quote, she had done something to him that would ensure that he would no longer be able to hurt her. So, um, in the meantime, like while Dennis is telling the Cheyenne police, all this stuff, uh, like Linda is faxing the Guthrie police telling them that Dennis had killed Alan. (laughs) 
So telephones aren't okay, but faxes, I guess. I guess so. I, get I guess the, the vampires can't get to me through the fax machine. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. That's really funny. <laughs> um, so she's she's like faxing them, covering all her bases, saying like, no, 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 no. I know what he's telling you, but this is what really happened. And which so, is kind of weird, like. At the same time. Yeah. It almost yeah. makes you seem, I wonder if it's planned, like they're just trying mm-hmm. to throw the police off, maybe. Right, yeah. Yeah, that could be. Um, and so, at that time, the Ross family hired private detectives, and they even consulted with two psychics who had worked with investigators in the past, and both of those psychics independently concluded that Alan Ross was alive and well in Texas, but he was, or not, he was alive, not well in texas um he was in danger and they said he'd been um he'd either suffered a mental breakdown or had been the victim of head trauma um and those were the two opinions of those two psychics respectively independent of one another um and then finally like nothing comes of this and nothing comes of this and nothing comes of this and then in 1999 uh the ross family and the film community kind of reached a point where they were like okay we're gonna figure this out like we gotta, we gotta figure this out, and um, the two people who uh, started really looking into it decided we're gonna make a documentary of this, and it ended up being a film called Missing Allen, and they documented every step of the way. Um, they interviewed as many people as they could. They even ended up getting an interview with Linda Green, in which she changed her story yet again. <laughs> And said that the government was involved, that this was like a (laughs) CIA conspiracy to kill Alan Ross, like why they would want to kill a Chicago filmmaker. I'm not sure, but that's what she was telling them. Um, But she did admit that Alan's she admitted to Alan's friends that he was buried in the crawl space, but like she didn't kill him is what she maintained. Um, So they went to the Cheyenne police because they were like, this has got to be enough. Like this, like you've got to look. And they were kind of hesitant at first because they were like, it's not really enough. Like, we, we need more. But they agreed to look anyway. And Linda fled town. So they they looked, and they chipped away some cement, and it revealed a grave. So four years and thousands of miles of searching ended that day, and they did find Alan Ross's body. So was that in Cheyenne, Wyoming? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was. And it took four years. Yes. For them to take that seriously. Yes. Yeah. Which is like... You hear that all the time in, like, all these uh, documentaries that you see on Netflix and, like, about injustice and, like, people, you know, wanting these crimes solved and, like, it's just, it's just crazy. It's so crazy. I can't even, I think that, I honestly think that it might be more difficult for a family that has someone missing than to know what happened. Like, if you never yeah, found you out. you don't have that closure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You don't know for sure. Maybe mm-hmm. they're still alive. Or- right. And, like, and then there's also the whole, like, like, maybe they're alive and they're okay, but maybe they're alive and they're being held somewhere in, mm-hmm. like, like a human trafficking situation yeah. or something. And I think that that would be, that would haunt you. Like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I'm glad that they, they got closure on that because that, that is horrible. Um, so there was an autopsy done of Alan Ross, and he, it did reveal that he had been shot twice, once in the head, which was consistent with what, um, like the psychic saying, the mental breakdown or uh, head trauma. Um, and the other thing, though, was that he had been castrated. Um, and it did not say if that was before he died or after he died. I would but hope after. I would hope so, too. Yeah, <laughs> I would really sake. hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I would hope so, too. Um, and, and why the castration? Like, yeah, personal, I don't... That's extremely personal. Exactly. You see yeah. that over and over again. That's what, so I'm wondering people. what... Yeah. yeah. So what Is, did he do? The, you know I, what I mean? What would... 
I guess it, well, I wonder if it just had to do with, like, how conflicted they were. And she's just, like, finally, like, taking out all her. Just take his manhood. Yeah. (laughs) Taking out her rage. Yeah. Um, So, Christian Bauer and Galen Immersian were the ones who made the film. And they continued to make that film um, after his body was found and all this stuff. And then in 2001, Missing Alan actually premiered. And, um... Or no, I'm sorry. In 2001, they caught up with Linda Green one more time. Um, She'd never been brought to justice for what happened, and she seemed to have an even more tenuous grasp on reality when they talked to her, Um, but she maintained that Dennis had killed Alan. Um, So then Missing Alan uh, did... I I think... uh, No, I'm sorry. Okay, so Linda Green ended up dying of liver failure at the age of 50 in Berryville, Arkansas, um, and Missing Allen had been released the year previous. Um, so, like, she was never brought to justice or anything like That's that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, she died a free woman, like, just living her life. Luckily, someone does pay for yeah for something a little, yeah, a little bit. bit. Yeah. yeah. So, um, at, the, at that time, or er, around November of 2004, Julia Williams, who was the friend who had found this house in Cheyenne for um, Linda Green, she was charged as an accessory to murder and went on trial that November. And it was almost nine years after Alan went missing. Um, And the prosecution called Dennis and Linda's son to the stand. He'd been about nine years old when the murder happened. And he testified that she did, in fact, possess the weapon, which I believe was a nine millimeter gun. Um... It was like the one used to kill Alan Ross, and he said she did have that. He had actually seen her shoot off a lock on a door with it one time. So he he knew she knew how to use it and that sort of thing. Um, They determined in that trial that Linda had the means, motive, and opportunity to do this. Um, And Williams was... She did not serve very much time at all. I think it was less than 34 months, and she only had to pay a $2,500 fine and then $3,500 in public defender fees. So she was... Yeah, I think two years, I think, is what she was sentenced to. Yeah. Whether yeah. or not she served that whole time. Mm-hmm. Right. It's It was very... Yeah, it was, it was crazy. So this place has a lot of, like, negative-type stuff associated with it. <laughs> and we actually... We went up there today, and we looked around, and we didn't go inside... Um, I really wanted to. Yes, yeah. I was so close to walking in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's very, like, I could see how a place like that could get a reputation for being haunted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, prison from mm-hmm. 1892. Oh, yeah. Uh, cult house. Cult house. Yeah. I mean. It's got all the, all the trappings. Um, so, like, the claims of activity in that place can be traced back to the prison days. Um, there are disembodied voices on the first floor and in the basement and the hallways, Metal doors can be heard slamming shut, even though there's only one remaining metal door in the whole building. Um, And there's a sound of a cough inside some of the old cells, um, which kind of I thought was interesting because it kind of calls to mind the idea that a lot of those prisoners got the flu. Respiratory problems. Yes, exactly. Like during the winter. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oklahoma weather just having no insulation, no heat, no air. Like yeah, that is. And being stuck. And being stuck. Really stuck. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No breeze to come through. Yeah. Yeah. I always, like, I always think that it would be so horrible to be in prison. Like, uh, just, oh, yeah. But, and I, I feel like that's, a, 
like I have maybe I have too much empathy because I'm like oh man that's like awful but but also like sometimes people do really awful things and they need to be in prison (laughs) but um so the other thing is people hear children playing outside the black jail when there are no children around um and there's also a ghost that is known as the black jail's lady and she's actually believed to be a member of the Nazarene church that occupied Mm -hmm. the building um the people see her wearing a long printed dress and a large hat with white gloves um Sometimes they hear a young woman singing on, uh, I believe, on the first floor, um, which is kind of kind of reminds you of like the fact that it was a church and people probably yeah. were singing in there. Um, and sometimes even at dusk, people will see a young woman crossing Noble Avenue going towards the entrance, which is it is right there by that where the bridge starts to yeah. like cross. Like somebody could be walking across right there and like no, wouldn't you. that be creepy? Exactly. Yeah, if I if I I'm ever up there living just even living close to right. it, having to drive by it often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's houses right there. Oh yeah. The street, next door. Actually. Next door. Yeah. Next door. Yeah. And they're inhabited. Yeah, I, I mean, there was a, there was a truck right out front when we were there. Some like, of them were in good condition. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're very pretty little houses. And, and then there's the black jail, like right there. Um, so the most famous ghost though, appears in his cell at his cell window and looks out across the street. So up on the second floor, like if you're driving across that bridge, maybe sometime at night, you might want, want to glance over there and see if you see somebody because, Um, It's believed that his name is James Phillips. And according to historical records, uh, Phillips killed a local man, and he was the first white man sentenced to hang at the jail in the summer of 1907. Um, And they say that he was watching the construction of the gallows from his window and collapsed. And it was ruled that he had died of fright. And so people, after his death, like the other prisoners and the guards would say that they heard footsteps um and they heard the sound of a man sobbing so like they thought it was him like awaiting his execution definitely yeah i mean that's what i would go towards yeah I mean, can you uh, imagine yeah. having to watch the gallows oh, or no. even some people had to build their own yeah. right yeah that is oh that's oh my god it's so <laughs> crazy to think about so uh you were the one who pointed me in the direction of the ghost adventures episode yeah and i did i watched that this morning and i always it's so funny because um I love Zach, but he, he's so dramatic. Like he's so, he's so over the top sometimes. And, um, they, it was, it was a fun episode. Like ghost adventures is usually pretty fun, but like, do you have anything you want to add about the ghost adventures episode? Well, they, they interviewed, uh, other paranormal investigators. Yes. Yeah, they and did. And the, I think it was a husband and wife team. I'm mm-hmm. not positive, but I know the woman said that she will not go back in there. Yes. I remember she that. Was, she was reading, because I guess some of Alan Ross's stuff was still mm-hmm. there. She was reading mm-hmm. invoices and letters, yeah. and something pulled her back. Oh, my God. So she refused to go back in there, uh, and the guy was saying that he, I can't remember, was it if he saw the apparition of a little girl mm-hmm. and even heard? And I believe so, yeah. Zach even mentioned a lot of times that's evidence of demonic activity. Yes, yeah. Because the demon's trying to get you to trust yeah 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 and if you see a child like yeah yeah and stuff has followed them home god oh and we were just there so yeah yeah let's let's hope that like nothing's following us home today (laughs) (laughs) that would not be fun (laughs) but yeah that's that's a super ghost adventure was pretty fun yeah and i think the coolest part was when you know zach claimed he saw like shadow figures Mm -hmm. in the basement and so he decided to get something to get a recorder down there Mm -hmm. and he got an EVP. Yeah. And it said something, something video. Yeah. 
and with Alan Ross being a, a videographer, to me it sounded like he said get video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I heard was get video. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, and then there was wood levitating. That was yeah. one part where I guess they wood slammed. Mm-hmm. And they used a Ouija board. That was a little cheesy to me. A little cheesy, yeah, a little cheesy. Especially the whole was a little cheesy to me. Yeah. <laughs> the barcode, because I guess Jay, one of the uh, Ghost Adventures crew, had a barcode on his hand. Yeah. One of the cards they found in there had his initials, I guess is mm-hmm. what they were saying. Yeah. Um. And then I guess they accidentally summoned the Zozo demon. Is that yeah, the mama yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was. Which somebody just contacted me, um, like, on Instagram the other day. Uh, Hope, shout out to you. Uh, she contacted me and told me that the Zozo house is on the market. And you can actually look at it on Craigslist. <laughs> so that's pretty crazy. Um, I watched that episode, and I don't know if I would want that house. Even mm. that episode was a little cheesy. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are. Like, I feel like, and I feel like um, one of the things that I always talk about when I talk about Ghost Adventures is, like, somebody's always getting scratched and it's always three scratches and it's always a demon like it's it happens a lot it has to do with mocking the trinity okay the father the son the holy spirit mm-hmm. the spirit that's why it's always in threes yeah so, so if you hear banging in threes mm-hmm. and, um i mean there's times where if they think that there's mm-hmm. demonic activity they bring in a uh, a bishop Okay. His wife. I didn't realize okay. bishops could have given. I did not part of the know. Catholic Church. Yeah, she's really? a nun. And I follow them on Twitter. They're yeah. Great. Yeah. I, I can't think of his name, but. And they're married. They're married. That's really interesting. I don't know if there's like a different mm-hmm. denomination of Catholic or, mm-hmm. but they seem like really cool people. But they'll call them in. Yeah. To, that is to cool. Bless the house. Yeah. That is cool. Well, I think that's just about everything i've got on the black jail and the samaritan cult house if uh if you want to plug anything that you've got like instagram or twitter Um, or yeah y'all guys can follow me on instagram and twitter it's 1994 brookie b-r-o-o-k-i-e on both so Mm -hmm. uh that's typically what i stay on facebook not as much yeah i'm yeah i've been trying to be better about facebook i've been trying to have a better attitude about it (laughs) but like it's hard Well, even twitter is going that way oh i don't i don't do twitter i don't do twitter because like my feelings will get hurt and that will not be fun (laughs) yeah yeah people are mean people are mean people are so mean and they upgraded it to like 240 characters oh i know and they can be extra mean now (laughs) it's like i don't like it i I want them to go back less characters less meanness yeah so i announced this last week but um i'm gonna keep talking about it for a while as it's coming up um so jesse edgar the photographer behind the uh, oklahoma abandoned project um he and he and several other artists are going to put on the um oklahoma scenic and historical art exhibit and i actually was invited to be part of that it's going to be held at the old moore high school building which i said this last week but in case you don't know it's haunted um and the room that we're going to have it in is super spooky so you should show up it's friday september 20th and there's an event page for it on Facebook if you want to know the times or whatever. You'll have the opportunity to, like, talk to me or talk to any of these other artists about what they do or, like, get some swag or, like, stuff like that. Um, so the shorts that I've been writing, they're doing really well. Um, I've been, I have been having a lot of fun with that. I actually got a review back last night from a reader in the UK who would like does not know me who I did not pay to do this (laughs) like yes and she gave it five stars and was like I am definitely going to be following what this author does from here on out and I was like yes like this it made my night 
So if you want to check that out, just search Amazon for Marnie Venge. Like enough people have searched for it now that my name auto populates, which makes me feel really good. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think that's all I've got for you guys um, in terms of, in terms of announcements. Um, follow the Instagram at Irioki. Facebook is the same, and then there's the Facebook group. We have a lot of fun discussing stuff in there, um, and. Thank you guys so much for being here. This was so much fun. I had such a great adventure with you guys. Like we had such a great conversation and just yeah, fun in the car. Us. Yeah, of course. Yes, of course. Yeah, it was a blast. With so. our Ouija board shirts. Yeah. And yes. With some Demon shirts. And then I've got my Irioki shirt. So I think that we're all screwed, basically. Like I think right. something something's definitely going to follow us home. If, if anything, I think I'm more in trouble because I actually kind of That's partially true. went in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You looked in the doorway. Yeah, yeah. I think... I think we're safe, Cheyenne. <laughs> we're safe. <laughs> okay, well, all right. Y'all stay spooky.